Welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome serial relauncher Susan Smith Ellis, who has had an amazing career in advertising, working for Bono, Morgan Stanley, Getty Images, and she's going to tell us all about it uh, and the career breaks that she's taken along the way. Susan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Carol. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. I'm a big iRelaunch fan, as you know. Well, I'm thrilled about that, and thank you for all of your dedication to iRelaunch. We should add that uh, Susan is on our advisory board, Uh, but let's focus on your career path and, as you call it, serial relaunching. Can you walk us through uh, your career history so we have a sense of what all of this looks like? Sure. Um, So I started my career in in advertising um, in Boston. Uh, for what was then a small advertising agency called Hill Holiday, Connors, and Cosmopolis, which is now a, you know, a multi-billion dollar agency. But um, I joined there when there was the two entrepreneurial founders were running it. Because they were entrepreneurs, they threw us into lots of interesting opportunities. So I, I was able to move around the agency business and did everything from account management to production I was moved overseas a number of times to help find agencies to uh, do uh, um, affiliations with. Um, I ran their agency in London for a few years. So I really had a, a many careers inside one company, and it was fantastic for me as a young person to be able to, um, to do all that. But I left that job. Well, I took a maternity leave um, from that job with our first child. And um, not on purpose, I became pregnant on my uh, uh, maternity leave with our second child. So there I was with a newborn and pregnant again. Um, So I, I, I parted company with them and really took time off. I took six years off because I, I had children a little bit later in life and I felt like I'd had this interesting career and I wanted to be very present as a new mother. Um, so I focused on that. But when they started school uh, six years later, um, I really started feeling very restless and I began to look for jobs. And in Boston, um, it was a fairly small market for marketing services and advertising. And basically everyone said to me, I don't think you're going to really be hired and, you know, you've taken this time off. What have you done with your life? And why don't you go do volunteer work? I was really a very uh, discouraging period. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, a friend introduced me to a, a recruiter in, in New York and I came to New York and met with her and she looked at my background and she said, I'll, I'll get you three job offers in a month. I mean, you have a great experience and it shouldn't matter that you took time off and she did. And so the next Wow, that that's very unusual and forward thinking. I should well, and, and that that time, when we're talking, we're talking nineteen, you know, nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight. So that yeah. was. But she she was a really amazing woman. Bonnie Lunt is her name. She's now retired, but she was a huge promoter of women in the industry and was really great about pushing us and getting us lots of opportunity. Um. So so she was able to connect me with BBDO and they hired me. Um. 
Um, I finally moved to New York and I started working at, at BBDO. And then from BBDO, I moved up into the holding company. So it's owned by Omnicom Group, which is the largest holding company of marketing services and advertising and communication firms, digital firms um, in the world. And so I moved up to the holding company, which for me was actually ideal because I still had young children. Um, but being not in the agency side, but being at the holding company, the, you know, the companies we worked with came to us. It was very much of a Monday through Friday job. I didn't have to travel. Um, I used to joke and say I actually had pretty perfect work-life balance for a number of years um, because I, I didn't have to do much besides be present during the workday. Um, not to say that I didn't work, but I'm just saying they didn't. it wasn't a crazy, you know, stay up all night or do new business pitches or any of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then along, along the way, um, I, I actually left there um, to become the CEO of Bono's uh, AIDS initiative called Product Red. And the connector there is one of the companies that we acquired when I was at Omnicom was based in Chicago. And the wife of the principal was a headhunter for Corn Ferry. And so I had gotten to know her over the years. Um, and she was the person who recommended me to Bono for the job as CEO of Product Red. And uh, when they called me, I thought they were asking me for recommendations. So I recommended people <laughs> that they should hire. Um, but when they called and said, no, we want to talk to you. And, th and that evening I went home and I, I talked to my family about it. Because, I, again, I was in a very comfortable situation at Omnicom. I'd been there a long time. I liked what I was doing. I liked the people I worked with. I was well compensated. I mean, it was really a pretty good setup. Um, but Red had just launched, and I don't know if you recall, but at the time, um, in New York, they'd launched all these gap windows with the red products, these red t-shirts that had, uh, I, I totally remember this. I don't know if all of our audience will, but I remember this. So it was a big, big, big launch, and that was the whole reason they were looking for a CEO, is that they had launched it with great fanfare, but now they needed to operationalize the idea. Mm -hmm. so I went home and talked to my family, and my daughter said, you know, mom, you should do this because it's all of the things you do anyway, but you'd be making a big difference. And I thought, wow, out of the middle of the waves. So I interviewed uh, with, with, with Bono um, and who I was really impressed with. I mean, obviously I knew him a little bit as a, you know, I know you too in the rock, the rock band, but right. really impressed with how knowledgeable he was about this issue. And at the time, you know, millions of people were dying from AIDS in Africa. It wasn't, it was a huge, huge sort of firestorm, if you will, and to harness the power of marketing and brands to build awareness and make it simple for people to engage was really an interesting marketing assignment for me. And then through that work, I actually came to genuinely care about the issue. I'm not sure I was the world's biggest AIDS advocate when I joined, but once you start to see the progress that you've made, and I was able to go to Africa to a number of places where we had uh, grants on the ground it really changed your perspective dramatically mm -hmm. so that sounds incredible so you so you had this amazing opportunity and you were the ceo of project red and how long did you do that for and and then what happened so i did it i did it for just a little over four years and which doesn't sound like a very long time but remember it was a startup and we didn't have a lot of people we kept our you know we our job was to keep our overhead very low 
um, I think at the height of our company, we had maybe 15 people. Um, and we really, you know, worked partnering with Apple and uh, Starbucks and uh, Nike and all these great brands to become our arms and legs on the issue. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit of a burnout factor in something like that because you really are, you know, you, you really, it's no more, it's no more work-life balance. You really are working a great deal and trying to keep this place going and trying to forever stay new and fresh and keep this issue, you know, top of mind with people by constantly changing it up with what you're doing and auction with Sotheby's or a launch with Starbucks and so on. And so it was also the time when my children were in high school and getting ready to start to look at colleges and think about the next step in their life. And I didn't want to be on my phone, you know, or looking at my texts while I was on a college tour. I wanted to be present. Um, It's very hard to be present. I think it's a struggle for all working parents to try to be present when there's so much coming at you. So I stepped away from that. And I took two. I actually took two years off. During that two years off, I, though, I did um, work as an executive producer on a small documentary called "Get the Picture." Um, and the reason that's interesting is that during that period, I contacted Getty Images. I was on a board with the founder of Getty Images, called Friends of the Global Fight, mm-hmm. um, my AIDS activism, and. Uh, I contacted him because we needed we needed archival footage from Getty, and I was hoping that he'd help us since it was a documentary. We wouldn't have to pay, you know, full price. Mm-hmm. And that reconnected me with him beyond the board, and so after the the film was done, he asked me to come in and do a consulting project for him on the Getty brand. You know what what they were starting to feel that the brand wasn't resonating as it once did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that small project. Um, and you know, nice, it was nice to come back to work a few days a week and do that. Um, and also during that time, I thought that I might want to join a board, you know, a, a company board, not just a nonprofit board. Mm-hmm. And my friend hooked me up with a woman named Shelley Lazarus, who was a very well-known fabulous. And so met with Shelley and talked to her. And um, as fate would have it, Morgan Stanley called Shelley to say, we're looking for a CMO. Who would you recommend? And she said, oh, I've just met the person, Susan Smith-Ellis. So while standing in my kitchen one day, I got a call from Morgan Stanley. Um, and I said to them, I'm not, you know, you, why do you want to hire me? I mean, honestly, I haven't really been in finance. I mean, I've run financial services accounts on the marketing side. I ran the Bank of America business for Omnicom. But they said, well, we want something different. And so I went in and interviewed, not thinking I was even going to do it, but I thought, well, you never know. And I went, and as you know, since we worked together there, I took that job as CMO. And uh, that was an incredible company, amazing, brilliant people, each one smarter than the next. Um, But during my tenure there, Getty Images contacted me and said, we want you to come and be our CMO. Um, and I was reluctant to leave Morgan Stanley, but I love the Getty Images editorial product. And the opportunity to be creative with that kind of content was way too alluring for me. It was really much closer to the sweet spot of what I'm good at. Um, and so I, I jumped over there and did that uh, for a couple of years. And then, honestly... I left there because I had an opportunity to work on a documentary, which was still in process. Um, I didn't want to work full-time anymore. I really was feeling like, you know, I want to enjoy more of my, quote-unquote, real life uh, and less of the working world. 
Um, and uh, and so I did that. You know, I did take. I took again another talk about the serial relaunching. I <laughs> I left mm-hmm. that job and really did not think I would ever go back to work again, in other than to do an occasional project of some kind that that had a real defined beginning and an end. Um, but you know, a couple years later, a friend of mine was working at Dentsu and. He said, "Come and come, help me. Come work with me. I'm trying to do this." Dentsu is a um, is a uh, very powerful brand in Japan, but it's a young network in the United States. So they prob- they've been doing a lot of acquisitions over the last four or five years, and uh, they are very digital first. I mean, very modern. They they bought amazing companies, and now the opportunity was how do you stimulate organic growth and how do you try to get some of those companies to start to work well together which was work I had done years ago at Omnicom so um, so you know I, I talked to them I talked to their CEO Nick Bryan who's the most charismatic person on earth um, and they said look tell us what you want you know do you, if you don't want to come full-time then come part-time so I do a consulting I, I, I agreed that I wanted to be a consultant not an employee because I want the to do other things um, and I do a consulting project there pretty much about three days a week uh, as of last April wow thank you for walking us through that you know it's it, I'm reflecting as you were talking about the your your entire career path and the career breaks and it feels to me that when you think about a, a the span of a career it can be for 40 years or longer uh, and that you know so careers are long and the way you describe it it feels almost like career breaks are a natural part of them and they happen at different points and then you go back and uh you know you have this exceptional career and and the uh you know the connectors of what how you're able to go back based on uh the contacts you have made before and your professional reputation uh, is, is it feels to, I think many of our listeners like, wow, I don't know if that could ever happen to me. And it's a product of, uh, of a lot of the work that you did initially, but I'm just wondering, did you look at it that way when you were in the moment that you're in these ebbs and flows of a career path or were there moments like, Oh, well, I guess this is maybe kind of, the end of my career for now and then it turned out not to be well i wish my husband were here <laughs> he's probably had to hear more of the ups and downs of um of my career path than anybody um no when I, it's only in hindsight that i look back and i think oh that's you know i they're all connected right they're all because i met a person or because somebody because I was doing something else, but then in that conversation, I made some impression on someone or a work that I did or a board that I was on. And that, and so going back, I can weave my career. Well, not so much from Hill Holiday from the experience side, but from the moment I met Bonnie Lunt all the way to now in terms of these connections that I made. Um, but when I was doing it, you know, I, I had doubts. I mean, honestly, I, I did the, I did the, the, the leaving, the first leaving, if you will, um, from the holiday because I wanted to focus on, it's always been about my family, honestly. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and again, I think because I was a mother later in life um, and I had had a long career, I, I was 39 when I had our first child. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
That uh, makes a huge difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I think if I'd been 27 or 28, I don't know what would what, what have become of this. You know, mm-hmm. I had had already been well established. But I also then had, on the other side of it is, I worried that I'm too old. You know, who's going to hire me? I'm, I'm in my 40s. I mean, it sounds so young now, but, you know, when I when I wanted to go back to work with these, when my children were starting school. So all along I had doubts. That, I never doubted that I was doing the right thing for my family, but I often doubted that I was doing the right thing for my career. And I often thought, I'm not going to get be able to get back in. I can't tell you how many times I've said to my husband, "Well, this is it. I'll never get to. I'll never get another job." Right. <laughs> I am, you know. But, um, but yes, I think when you're in the thick of it, sometimes, and you and you when you take when you take time away, it's it's a, it, this is a true thing. I think there's a lot of you learn about your relationships, and there were a lot of relationships that I had that were transactional, and so once I stepped out of the arena. Uh, those people did not care whether I was, you know, what, what became of me because I, there was nothing in it for them. I couldn't do a deal with them or I couldn't, whatever it was. But other people, you realize they actually were people who cared about you or were interested in you or thought that you had some value. And so it, it kind of weeds out the, um, the wheat from the chaff, if you will, of your life. And uh, that was an interesting sort of byproduct that I didn't realize. Right. Um, so let, let me just break for a second and, and tell those of you who just tuned in that you're listening to 321 I Relaunch. And this is your host, Carol Fishman Cohen. I'm speaking with serial relauncher Susan Smith Ellis. Susan, I want to go back to this beginning piece, which I think is, is so uh, notable about the, the, your, the recruiter. Do you, Bonnie Lunt, is that what you said? Bonnie Lunt, yes. Okay, yeah. so let's just recount what you had said earlier, that when you met with her, she she wasn't looking at your career breaks at all as any kind of impediment, and this was in the 90s, and she said, oh, I'm, based on your background, I can get you three job offers right away, and she did. And so she had a completely different mindset and a completely different stance as it pertained to relaunchers, and I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. In fact, what we used to hear was that it, you have to shy away from recruiters if you're a relauncher because their job is to put candidates um, on the table in front of employers. And if there's anything that they would perceive as maybe even remotely risky, that they that like a like a career break on your resume, that that would eliminate you. So this is the exact opposite, and it well, also changed your mindset. And I'm just so interested in that interplay. Like, were you shocked when you heard her say that? Shocked, because again, I had been—I had had so much rejection. Uh, you know, I, really, I, and I thought, how can I be washed up at at forty something years old? And mm-hmm. and also during my time off with the children, um, I had paid attention. You know, the internet was beginning to happen, and digital was beginning to you know really be there. And a couple of friends of ours had left Harvard Business Review, and they were founding Fast Company magazine. Mm. And so I was paying attention to what they were doing, what they were talking about. And um, my husband and I went to a few brainstorms they had pre-launch around, you know, what do we, what do we think about this and that? And so I, you know, I, I wasn't just, um, you know, standing around in my kitchen making soup. Um, and and the thing about Bonnie that was so amazing, she had very deep and uh, real relationships with the people that she worked. For for the different um, agency holding companies or the different agencies that she worked for. Like they knew her and trusted her because she had had 
such a long track record of finding really talented people and putting them in place. So I benefited from her reputation enormously because you know they had such confidence in her that they believed if she said, you know, Carol Fishman Cohen is the person, then you were indeed the person. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, but she changed the trajectory of my life. And wow. because one, I we moved to New York, which so that changed a lot of things for both my husband and me and my family. Um, and then that also put me in a much bigger universe where there was a lot more opportunity. Um, it just because it's such a, you know, it's a world city. So I, you know, I, and she's still a friend today. Um, we've maintained a friendship for however many years and, uh, and I, I think about her all the time and with great gratitude. Wow. Well, you know, I want to change directions for a minute and talk to you about marketing and advertising and the digital divide and how you made the leap from being uh, maybe calling it an old school marketer to an, a new, you know, 2.0 or and beyond marketer. Because we have people who relaunchers who have that more of a classic marketing or advertising background who are upskilling um, in all of the latest thinking and digital marketing. But you live through that and work through that. How did you do it? Well, so I still can't type worth a darn. I mean, <laughs> because again, I grew up in the era where if you know you didn't want to know how to type necessarily because you didn't want to be stuck in a place where you were a support staff. So by being the world's worst typist, no one ever made me their assistant when I was first starting. <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I had the opposite. I was a very, very fast typist, and I didn't want anyone to know because I didn't want them to put me in that role. There you go. Yeah. So. I think because because I again during my break um, I had the luxury to pay attention to things that had I been in the thick of it had I been you know at an agency or whatever in the thick of what was happening I'm not sure I would have had the time because I would have had to work all day and then go home and you know be a mother and um, so I did have the luxury of time and the, the whole fast company experience was you know paying attention to the launch of that magazine and being friends with the with the founders and. Um, and so when I, in fact, I'll tell you a story. When I went to BBDO, they were not digital at all. And I really thought, wow, they need to, they need to have a digital arm to BBDO. If nothing else, to begin to experiment with short form content because they had this enormous talent base of people that could really make, move. their ads were like little movies. They still are. They still, I think, are one of the premier, if not the premier ad maker they tell stories inside of, you know, 30 seconds. Um, and, and, but there was a lot of resistance at the management level because they thought, oh, you know, what digital is digital. A lot of people back then really thought digital was no different than, say, you know, uh, radio will disrupt print and TV will disrupt radio and, you know, movies will go away, whatever. They, they sort of saw it as another medium. Right. And I, I saw it as much more transformational than that. Um, and so, long story short, we ended up uh, persuading them to incubate a little app, a little digital agency called, which we called Atmosphere, and I was responsible for getting that off the ground. Um, and it's, it exists now today. It's quite a big, uh, big agency owned by BBDO. Hmm. But but we had to go hire young talent who who were digital native. Right? They were not. We were not trying to take people who made TV spots and turn them into digital native. Um, so the and again, I think because 
you know, just uh, because of Red being a little company and we didn't have, we, you know, we relied on our partners to do a lot of marketing. We didn't really have our own big marketing budgets at all. So the power of social media became how we spread the word. We want, we set out to build a social network because it it's free. You can just, you know, put your put stories out there. And, and again, I hired a lot of really young people who knew how to do this. And so I think a lot of it for me was through osmosis, mm -hmm. just being around it and then seeing that it works. Um, you know, I, I still don't think I'm the best, you know, I'm not the biggest data geek in the world, but I understand the power of it. I don't think nearly enough companies understand the power of it or even have the right data. Um, but if you get it right, you can be a very strong marketer without being an annoying marketer. One of the challenges right now, as we've become so digital, is we're getting 5,000 messages a day versus a few hundred way back when. And how much of that becomes noise and invisible to us versus things that are properly targeted. And so I do think there's a lot of waste uh, still in digital that, that clients and other companies haven't figured out. Um, and it's one of the things I like about Dentsu. They have a fabulous company called Merkle, and um, they really have this nailed. And so I, I often say to them, I wish I'd known you when I was a CMO mm -hmm. because that would have been really valuable to me. Mm -hmm. And um, looking at it now for relaunchers who are, you know, tr are trying to relaunch in marketing or advertising, do you have any recommendations to them in terms of what they should be paying attention to and learning or coursework or just research and awareness about social social media digital if they had a if if they've been out of the workforce for over 10 years let's say well i think it's hard um I mean, I would say that the that remember that you're you consume it all the time, so you're not you know you're not ignorant of it from the from the client side. I mean, from the um, you know from the customer side, and so think about how you what do you think about it, and what do you, what do you what are you receiving? Is it targeted, and do you do you respond to it, and and you know what do you think about that? Is it too intrusive? Like you know, think about yourself. As a target audience, number one, I think, is a, a, an important part of it. Um, and not to think of it as something you don't really understand because you actually do probably know more than you think. Um, and then I, I think that the, there are many agencies. One of the challenges that agencies have is they have a lot of jobs that they can't fill in the digital space. And so finding the ones, and there are, they do exist, um, where they're willing to take a bet on someone who's smart and curious and can learn uh, to put you into situations where you can where you can learn learn things. I would say, you know, I wish I understood data better. I don't know if there's a really great course on understanding data. Mm -hmm. um, there, there actually might be. I can't think of the name of it now. But, but you know, I would look for places where you can go, and uh, and they're not expensive. The ones I've seen um, that are set up by co former colleagues of mine. Mm -hmm. I would, do, I would do that. I would learn about data a lot. I think that's just being conversant in that is a really powerful uh, tool to have as you interview. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, so, Susan, we're, we're um, coming up on the final moments of our conversation right now. And I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. One is, so retrospectively, now looking back, is there mm -hmm. anything that you would have done differently? Um, well, you know, 
I don't think so. And the reason I'll say that is, I mean, sometimes I think, you know, should I have left Omnicom? I had such a good, you know, gig there, and, and I certainly was well compensated. I gave up a lot on the compensation side, a lot, uh, to go to Red. So I probably would have had, you know, a little more money tucked away. But then I think that, I think that where you are is based on the journey that you that you took to get there. And so if I went back to change, if I were to think about changing anything, wouldn't that change some other outcomes that maybe I don't want to change? So I take a, you know, a view that, that I was probably in the right place at the right time for whatever reasons I needed to be. And, you know, I don't have any regrets about all the time I took off at all. I know that's not for everybody. That's not easy for everybody, but I, I really feel that that, enriched my life in ways that I, I couldn't have understood until I did it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I wanted to close by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience? Even if it's something that we've already talked about today. So, um, my father used to say this too to me when I would talk to him about various challenges along the way of my life or my career, he would always say, don't add up subtotals. <laughs> um, and I think that's true. I think that when we're in the thick of something, we sometimes think, well, this is it, you know, and yet life is, we don't know. I mean, we, we don't know. It's there's, there's always something around the corner, good or bad. You never know. And I think, I think it's important to not to think about, life and work and careers and stuff it's a long journey uh, if you're lucky it's the journey is long and you should just stay open to possibilities and and uh and don't you know don't assume that this that if you're struggling with relaunching that that means that's it it, it just means that you're struggling and that you won't always struggle that's great advice, and I love the long-term outlook and uh, encouraging uh, all of our listeners in our community to, to think about it in that way. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me, and keep up the great work you're doing with iRelaunch. Thank you. Keep those women coming. <laughs> thank you so much. And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.